I'm Andy Nelson. And I'm Pete Wright. We're the team behind the True Story FM Entertainment Podcast Network. The Writers Guild is on strike, and we fully support them. As members of the entertainment industry and lovers of film and television, we know that writers have often been left behind through various industry transitions. There were DVD residuals they never got, then Blu-ray, and now streaming. The entertainment companies have leveraged the streaming transition to underpay writers, creating more precarious, lower-paid models for writers' work. We love the accessibility streaming services provide, but that doesn't mean the writer's work should be devalued because of it. Whether it's a small indie drama, a wild new horror film, or a mega blockbuster, they all start with a script. When the studios invest millions into producing these projects, they should be paying the writers for the value they create. I'm Justin J.J. Yeager, and I support the writers represented by the WGA. I'm Chrissy Lenz. I'm Nathan Blackwell. This is Kyle Olson. I'm Nate McWhorter. I'm Mandy Fabian. I'm Tommy Metz III. I'm Steve Sarmento. I'm Matthew Fox. I'm Ray Delancey. I support the writers represented by the WGA. 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 And I support the writers represented by the WGA. I support the writers represented by the WGA. I support the writers represented by the WGA. I'm Andy Kaplan, and hell yeah, I support the writers represented by the WGA. Our network is in full support of the Writers Guild. Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we are looking at The Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright. Or I was. (laughs) Today we're talking about Minute 66, which begins with Natasha saying there's no way she'll let Loki out and ends with Loki lashing out. Back on the show, it's author and professor of political science, Matthew Costello. Hello. Hello. Glad to be here. Oh, you know, we just love having these conversations with you. And uh, I, you know, this is another of these, um, you know, very separate minutes that you've picked over the over the span of this film. And I wanted to find out what is it about this conversation that we're getting between Loki and Natasha that uh, fascinated you and said, oh, you know, I want to talk about that minute. Well, there, there are really two things about this this minute, particularly that I like one. We get to see a lot of Loki and Natasha here, right? That, uh, the characters, right? Natasha, this is where we really first start to see how dark Natasha's past is, right? Um, we've had hints, but now we really start to see it. And so this, this becomes a minute about redemption. She's thinking about redemption. Loki, on the other hand, we really watch him play her. We watch Loki be the manipulator that he is. And so we get these sort of wonderful little character moments here. And the second is, I think it's an incredibly well shot and framed and acted scene. Um, I love uh, the cut to her and her reaction as he's going through her past. That's a really nice reaction shot. And the final camera shot where we see um, Loki's face reflected in the glass, almost superimposed over Natasha's face, which sort of presages what we're going to find out that they're playing each other. And nobody really knows that yet because she's doing such a good job and he's doing such a good job. But they really are both manipulating each other. And so it's it's sort of a real, it's a well-shot, well-constructed, well-thought-out minute. I like the way it's 
blocked, framed, and I like what happens in it. It's a great exploration of these two characters as kind of like master uh, manipulators going up against each other. And I think that's what's fun about this scene is, you know, Loki really getting into this place where he feels he now has enough pieces to get at her. And, you know, she is enough of a spy and manipulator where she is playing into exactly as we'll find out she's she's doing exactly what he is wanting her to do and uh, it it it's fun to see kind of like how she's doing it and and when you're watching the scene play it really feels like he has found what he needs to get under her skin and it, it, i mean it plays in an interesting way i like the way that that we have it i do have a question though in the scope of the relationship that barton and natasha clearly have had they they've obviously you know gotten along for a long time they've known each other for a very long time they've worked together for a long time and he as she finds out here uh he has told loki all of these secrets of hers is there space to think about in the in the film where barton might have also told loki you know she's pretty much she knows how to like uh find the ways into these you know these situations and and play it where you're you don't realize you're getting played that's kind of her job is that something that he should have told loki well you know that's a great question i hadn't thought about that but as i think about it right he's going to tell loki what loki asked for right he's done he's being mind controlled i don't think loki would think to ask for it largely because loki's loki's problem is his hubris right his belief that he he understands the situation and that's what's going on. He feels he's manipulating her. She's reacting, as you point out, exactly the way he expects her to react, right? When in fact, none of this is really bothering her all that much. She's, she's come to terms, right? As she says, I'm Russian. This crap doesn't bother me all that much. It does, but not to the point where she's actually going to be manipulated by him on this. And it's his hubris, in fact, that does him wrong here. And I think that probably he wouldn't bother to ask Clint what if I said this to her? Is she going? How how would she respond? He knows how she'll respond. He thinks he knows how she'll respond because he's lucky. Yeah, I mean the only que- the only evidence that we get that Clint might have some agency over what he does or does not tell Loki is in a cut scene that nobody ever really gets to see that we've looked at, you know, because of the you know by dint of history and and deleted scenes. And so what we know of Clint is he's given Loki, as you say, everything that he wants. The thing that's interesting about this little dance between them, I think it's Loki that is operating on his on his heel because Natasha is coming at this knowing that she's playing catch-up, right? She is interrogating, interrogating him because there is stuff that Loki knows that she doesn't know. But to your point, his hubris causes him to reveal more about her that that he knows more about her and do this little dance and get out of sync, right? Like, ultimately, he loses the dance because she's better at this than he is. He allows too much of too much ego to get in the way of his own efforts to bluster through an interrogation and i think that makes it really fascinating also because both of these performers are so very very good 
at, at conveying all these subtextual cues um, that I think are, are fantastic. I do, it, it is once again the magic of narrative that we have to sort of suspend a little bit of disbelief that I just am not sure that he would have gotten even as much as he does out of Barton. Like, I, I it just seems like, to your point, like, he doesn't know what he doesn't know, so why does he know Drakov's daughter? Like, those, those kinds of lines work well when you're not watching the movie one minute at a time, but it is a thing that sort of takes me out of sequence a little bit. Yeah. But Natasha's sort of acceptance of her past comes back a little bit later in one of the the funnier moments in the film when she sort of joyfully or gleefully reminds him that that this all seems like Belarus. She tells Barton, this all seems like, you know, Belarus or or Budapest. And he's like, you have a very different remembrance of Budapest than I do. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So... She's, yeah, she's done horrible things and she's got red in her ledger. And part of this is, is her redemption story. Um, that's sort of her, her character arc at some level. But she's, she doesn't really think she's got all that much to be redeemed from. She's okay with a lot of it. Well, I, I agreed. Why do you think she drops, like, who, whose benefit is it? that she drops, I'm Russian, or I was? Is it for Loki's benefit or ours? as the audience. It's a great line though, isn't it? Oh, it's a great line. You know, it's, 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 that, it's that, that sort of, you know, cold war. I read Dostoevsky when I was 15 kind of thing. You just kind yeah. of, Oh yeah. I know right. you. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, it, I think maybe it's for her benefit too. She's just sort of her reminding herself who she is. I, I, I don't know whose benefits for, but I, it, it, it works for me. It's probably the, that, it, that is probably the third best choice uh in answering that question i don't think it's for loki's because he is a god like he doesn't care about, uh, right they're all they're all ideologies he's concerned. right exactly <laughs> uh and, and so you know for for her to say those to say those words aloud particularly you know acknowledging the red in her ledger i think it makes more sense but it, it has always felt like a particularly written line because it feels good to write those lines and see those lines performed and uh and and yet it it is you know from the character's perspective i think it makes most sense for it to be from her that's a good way to read it yeah but you're right loki wouldn't care it wouldn't matter to him Right. I also like the, the, you know, this, when he's talking, uh, to her about this idea of the world in balance, in the balance and you bargain for one man. That's an interesting line to kind of throw out also because I, I suppose in the scope of, of her being a spy, it's like, I mean, obviously we know she cares about Clint. There is this side of him. And, and as she says here, you know, she wants to wipe out the, the red in her ledger and Clint is going to be part of doing that. But I, I like the the sense that what Loki gets from from his conversation with Clint is this draw to saving Clint as the one person like that that she really has this draw to him. It's less about the big uh, picture and more about this individual, which is I don't know. I, I it's an interesting thing for Loki to have found as the uh, as something that is key to get under her skin where. In reality, it's like that that kind of goes against the grain as far as anything that somebody who is a spy would would be really focusing on. It's, it's kind of interesting like that that he's ended up interpreting it that way. And I mean, and he uses it to his advantage, but obviously she's using it more to her advantage. But I find that to be an interesting line as well. Your world in the balance and you bargain for one man. 
Well, I kind of think part of that is also that, that she views herself as a soldier. I mean, she's a spy, but she's, she's a soldier, right? And soldiers will tell you very frequently that they're, they're, they're not fighting for justice. They're not fighting for a cause. They're fighting for the guy next to them. They're fighting for their, their buddies. And they won't leave their buddies behind. And Clint is, Clint is her person, right? Right. And so in, in that context, it makes perfect sense from her perspective, which again suggests Loki just doesn't get her. Um, and he's, he's playing out of his league, right? He's like moving forward and he's doing all that, that, that action stuff with a voice and, you know, you, how oh, you have so much red. You know? <laughs> I mean, he's, he's, he would twirl his mustache if he had one at that moment, um, in victory. And he's, 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 I mean, Pete's right. She's, he's out of his league in this case. He's, she's got him already. Um, we, I don't think we're aware of it because she's doing such a good job. She's got us too. Yeah. Right. That the reaction shot, when we cut from him to her and the, before anything happens, you watch her eyes just slightly widen, her nostrils just slightly flare. And then you can see her take in breath. And it's just, it's this, it's this sort of perfect reaction shot to someone who's supposed to be losing control. Right. And she's playing losing control. So it's really, it's really well done. But I think that, that, that it's an interesting line because it works in the context of you think of these people as world saving heroes. But I don't think she views herself as a world saving hero. I think she even says later at some point to Clint, you know, we're out of our league. These are gods and we're schmucks or something. Right. But it is, it, it, that is a real interesting way to cut into it, I think, is with that particular line. Yeah, it's again, it just really goes to this gamesmanship between these two characters, because, I mean, I suppose, you know, the goal of somebody who is using this sort of manipulation as a tool to get information or to come out ahead or, or, you know, whatever the case may be when you're doing this, it's this constant need to shift and change and modify what you're saying in order to find the next thing that's going to kind of get even further under their skin, right? Because you, you'll you say something, they're going to respond in some capacity, and then you you might have to completely change your approach. And that certainly is the case over the course of this conversation before before this minute and after this minute as they kind of are doing this dance and trying to find ways. And Loki, what we get in this minute is... Natasha's doing a good job of of playing against Loki. And even with, with the lines like that, your world in the balance, you bargain for one man, like she's got the perfect response for him about, you know, regimes fall every day. I tend to not weep over that. I'm Russian, or I was. And then he uses that as the opportunity to push into this whole thing about the Red Ledger and really starts going into hammering her on all these details that he knows. Drakov's daughter, Sao Paulo, the hospital fire. And we start seeing a reaction from her. And that's, you know, as they're doing this dance, each of them is always looking for that thing that this is the thing that's going to push those buttons. And Loki finds it right here. And she's showing it in her face. And obviously, as we'll find out, she's doing that intentionally to show him that he thinks that now he has found the tool that's going to get to her. But it's nice. And like, that's what is so great about a scene like this with actors performing it in just the just such a strong way and i mean as you pointed out earlier matthew the cinematography like that shot toward the end of this minute when you know she has stood up and she's closer to the glass and he stands and walks over to it and you get that shot of her with his reflection like hovering right over her as he's going through all of this stuff about her ledgers dripping and gushing red 
I mean, it's, it's just so effectively constructed. It's um, like, this is one of those standout moments in this film because of all of that. And it's also geeky. When we talk film, right, we talk about the, the, the scene, but we also talk about the montage and how they fit, right? You talk about mise-en-scene and montage, right? The scene is also cut in well. As you see at the end of this, we start to go back and we look at Captain America finding the weapon. And we look at Tony and Bruce who are, you know, finding the cube and having their argument and all these other things going on out there. And what we realize is that, is that while Natasha may not be manipulated by Loki, everybody else is. Right. Right. This whole situation, right. This, this moment, right. Suddenly opens up as we cut into these, these clips of these others with Loki's voice over it. And we realize everybody else is getting played when she snaps back and we realize she's not getting played. We also are then going to go and watch, you know, Bruce start to lose it with the scepter and all these other things. And so it's, it's also the location of this and the editing of the film as well, that this moment of manipulation becomes sort of a, a, just a little piece of the broader manipulation that's been going on. That's a lot more successful. Right. So maybe Natasha's better than the guys. I mean, maybe that's what this is really all about. It's that, you know, the guys are a bunch of gullible people who get manipulated by Loki, but Natasha is the only one who, you know, can stand up to him. Yeah. Well, and it, that actually raises an, an interesting question because we've, I, you've, you've been bouncing around this season. I think we've talked about Steve, uh, we, with you. We've talked, who else have we talked about? We definitely, we've talked about Loki yeah. and, uh, the other. Um, we've talked about Coulson. Uh, but, but I'm curious from the, you know, you're, you're the one who pivoted my view of this movie, particularly as S.H.I.E.L.D. turns fascist. And <laughs> I'm fascinated. That has been taken up Loki rent in my, in my mind at once. Watching this movie, and I'm curious your position on uh, Natasha as a character because I think this is the first time we've talked about Black Widow with you, right? Yeah. So where do you come down on Black Widow and and her position as uh, both? I, I guess from an ideological political position as a Marvel comic book hero, uh, and you know as a as a hero, you know, and as part of a fandom. I liked her in the comics. Um, there was a short Gene Colan run in Amazing Adventures in the early 70s that I thought was awesome. There was the, the run where it was Daredevil and the Black Widow and they were in San Francisco. And right, that, that was kind of cool. This is sort of the redeemed Soviet spy who becomes the head of the Avengers at one point. That's, it's, it's a good arc in the book. She's a fine character. She's, she's a fine character. I really liked her here. I really liked her in Endgame. Um, I was not so thrilled with the whole feminizing of her in Ultron. I didn't hate the Black Widow movie, but I probably couldn't tell you anything about it off the top of my head. Um, it's like watch. It's like the film Watchmen. I once described to someone. I said, you know. Two weeks after going to see Watchmen, someone will say, have you been to the movies lately? He said, yeah, I saw something two weeks ago, but I can't remember what it was. <laughs> um, and that's sort of how the Black Widow film struck me. So um, I really like her here. I mean, I think, and I think they do a wonderful thing with her and Clint here. The superhero story frequently, particularly of late, is a redemption story. I mean, there's, there's, there's really a redemption story. Um, there's always some trauma from which they need to be redeemed, right? Peter Parker lets Uncle Ben die. Captain America loses Bucky. Natasha's got red in her ledger. And so she does the redemption story really well. 
I mean, she's, she's does it really well without selling out who she is, right? I mean, she doesn't become wussy. She doesn't become weak, right? She's still, right? She, she's not really sorry for all the stuff she does. She knows it's bad and she'd like to pay it off, but she did it. Yeah, context matters, right? <laughs> for her, right? That, that yeah. was then, this is now, let's do, let's go forward. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but I, I admit I did bad things and I should pay for that. Yeah. And I don't do bad things anymore unless they need to be done. And then I'll do them. Right. <laughs> she is like her history is a very interesting character and and to your point like uh, my my take on the black widow film is that it really there was room for that story to have ex- been expanded into a trilogy and they could have really given that character a whole lot more depth i don't i just i feel like by the time they got to that in phase four i i feel like Feige had already kind of delineated the very specific direction that he wanted to go. And the unfortunate thing about the Black Widow movie is that it felt like an afterthought, like, well, we really should just give her her own movie. She's been in it long enough. And it just it felt that way, as opposed to feeling like, let's give her the story that the character deserves. And, um, you know, I, I feel like after phase three, they've they've turned into just a rush to get you know, we've got to do this film, which is going to set up the next film, and that's going to set up the next film, and this TV show, and all this. And they're not allowing kind of the space for these things anymore. And that's the thing that I felt with that film that we didn't get, which was very unfortunate because of all the characters that that we've been following over the course of the the first three phases. Like she's the one who I, I felt like was given the one of the shortest uh, shrift. You know, like. I, I don't know. I just felt like we could have, there was room to really explore her story more. And that's unfortunate. There's a lot of implied depth. Yeah. Right. In, in this character who doesn't show up very much. And I don't think the black widow film gave us that depth. No. Um, and I don't think, I don't think the Ultron story gave us the depth we wanted. I think it sort of undermined the character in some ways. Right. Cause I mean, the, the film was really there to set up her sister and her father and, and like those characters that we'll see in later Marvel properties. It's like, it didn't but, but will we ever get a, another black widow movie? Will we get a black widow too? I, I, I don't think so. And I think the, the no. challenge that I have with it is that, you know, we had such opportunity with this black widow story. And I think you could argue that there was an appetite that Marvel did not understand given the just, hallucinatory fandom over the Americans that was happening at the same time. Like, why didn't we leverage a Russian spy story for Black Widow when people were hungry for it, right? I I just, it is absurd to me that we missed that that exit off of the Marvel Highway. It feels like a massive misunderstanding of the market. And, 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 And now the character is just, is, is, is bench strength. Right. Like now, the even the character, uh, uh, you know, in in new hands uh, is, you know, now that Scarlett Johansson is is out of the picture is I just don't think we're ever going to get get back to this. I'd be I'll be gobsmacked if we get back to it. I'm pretty sure she said that that was it. Like I'm pretty sure that she said she's done with it. Yeah, but it might have been fun to see a, you know, Black Widow meets Barton back in, say, you know, yes, the eight, you know, or 82 or something. Yeah. Right. Let's see how we got to this point. That could have been such fascinating setup, political setup for leading to answering the question, how did this former Soviet spy and assassin end up an Avenger? Right. It just it's always been taken as as written that this she's always been here. And and 
uh, I I feel like they've never really addressed that in the MCU, and it's frustrating. So yeah, particularly since they did such a nice job on on um, the Winter Soldier, sort of creating that that Cold War vibe. Hallelujah! Right? They could have done the same thing with the Black Widow as a period piece, and it would have been fantastic. Yeah. And instead, we got to your, I mean, just this popcorn fair, which was fine in the Black Widow, but it did end with characters jumping off of debris falling through the air. And that was like nonsense action sequence for me. <laughs> like, it was just like, I can't even with this. Like, it's, uh, it, it's trivial. It becomes trivial. It's very frustrating. However, speaking of the Black Widow movie, uh, you know, we do get mention here of as one of the parts of the red in her ledger, Dracoff's daughter, which is, of course, a point that we do explore in the Black Widow film as we do find out about uh, Dracoff as the, uh, you know, the general who um, is overseeing the Red Room, which, of course, is the, (laughs) the exploding thing in the sky that you're talking about here. But, of course, the moment with uh, his daughter is when Natasha tries to um, uh, kill him, but his daughter is there. That's Antonia. And uh, she, uh, at this point, Natasha thinks that she actually killed Antonia. Of course, it's not until the Black Widow movie, which takes place after this, that we find out that Antonia did survive and is, in fact, uh, working with her father. She is Taskmaster now, and that's the whole thing in that film. We also hear about Sao Paulo, which is, uh, you know, in the Marvel Wiki is <laughs> the only scope of what we have there is that Natasha got involved in an event there that tormented her for years to come. <laughs> so clearly that's not anything from anything. Um, what's funny about that, though, is that they also, as far as trivia is concerned, they have a note that in 2017, when Thor Ragnarok was released, they had a commercial that played down in Sao Paulo uh, featuring the Hulk. And uh, so that was kind of uh, just a random, a, a random thing to include uh, that you know, <laughs> they had some partnership with the uh, Renault and uh, they featured it in a commercial down there. <laughs> as funny. for as for the other uh, the mention of the hospital fire that uh, is not brought up at all in the Marvel Wiki as something that we need to be aware of apparently. So it's, uh, it's just written there as a line for this conversation. Yeah. I, I guess what's important though, and what we should take away is that all of these three things, Dreykov's daughter, Sao Paulo, the hospital fire, as he is saying it, she is clearly having an emotional reaction. And, um, you know, we've seen this a number, number of times. And I guess this is another, uh, just the last question about this, uh, this scene this is really the third time that she's kind of played this angle in the film. Uh, you know, we, we had it earlier, of course, the scene with the Russians when she's, uh, when we first see her come into the film and the second time in the moment when she's reacting with Bruce. And then of course we find out that they are, in fact, uh, there are a whole bunch of other people outside. Is this a, a trick of hers that we've seen play out too many times, Matthew, or is it, is this like, were those like good setups? giving us a sense of what she could do so that we're building to this one, the big one in the film. Yeah. Three and three and an hour is a lot. Right. But it, it worked for me. I mean, it worked for me. I didn't, I didn't get tired of it. So yeah, it worked for me. I don't know. How about you guys? Well, it works for me. And I think this is a, uh, this to me is, this is her Mjolnir. How many times does Thor pull out his hammer? 
right? Like this is the thing that she's... this is this is PG thirteen, dude. We'll have to bleep that. Okay. Uh, I guess how many times does Steve whip out his shield? Did I say that right? (laughs) This is the Russ Meyer version of the event. Right. Right. Faster, faster, back widow kill. I uh, I I feel like this is her tool, and uh, it is. You have to you have to be able to contain yourself. <laughs> no, I I do. I believe that this is this is the <laughs> what can I do skill set that she brings to the table, and um, uh, I I just I it never it never really phases me. I, it it doesn't become a joke. Uh, no, but here's the thing. You're yeah. you're talking about it like being car- something in their arsenal as far as what they do. When Thor pulls out, uh, when Thor wields Mjolnir <laughs> in a battle, we know what's going to happen. And I guess this is this is where I I wonder because the whole idea of the way that Natasha is using this is that it's always it always comes as a surprise. It's always intended for us, the audience, as much as whoever it is she's talking to. To come as a surprise, and I guess the yeah, I guess the question is, are is she so good that even as an audience we're still buying into it, even though this is the third time that she's done it to us? And I, I guiltily say I bought into it. Like I didn't think like, oh, she's totally doing that old trick again. Yeah, we might be able to say that the the one with Bruce is a little bit different because nobody believes she went there alone. Yeah, true, true. That's accurate. Yeah, I believe that. Right. So it may be a little different, but but this one, you're right. It's maybe it's just she's really good at it, and so you know if she did it six times, we'd buy it. But yeah, maybe we're just really stupid film watchers. And <laughs> I know I feel like I'm okay with that too. Honestly. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what's that's what is so interesting because like by the time I get through this, I'm like I really should have seen this coming. Like how did I not like this is what she does? She keeps doing this trick over and over. How did I not recognize that this was happening to me again? in this movie so to that end it's like effective writing effective performances by the by the actors here uh directing just scene construction so to that end i think that they set us up in a in a smart way where it's like it ends up not being too much in fact it probably ends up being just enough like if they did it one more time after this i think we all would have been like oh she's doing it again but this time like it plays perfectly and we end up uh we end up kind of falling for it so yeah I don't mind being manipulated by by her in these sequences. I really don't mind. I mean, that's the the subterfuge is part of why I'm going to this movie. Yeah, it's it's, it's subtle and effective manipulation, and it's not ham handed in any ways. It's not like you know Armageddon, right? <laughs> you know, well, and it's and, and, <laughs> or dare I say, Black Widow. <laughs> well, well, and it is such an interesting form of manipulation where you're giving them the impression that you have been so completely crushed you know like i I mean i guess it's it works in the scope of something like the sting where you know you think that somebody's just been killed it's all part of the gag not to spoil a you know a nearly 50 year old movie but but still it's like (laughs) the whole idea that they're completely making you feel like you've just bottomed them out like natasha really is reacting here like her eyes are welling up with tears you know her she, she's her throat and her lips are kind of quivering and and she's reacting like oh my god you just found the secret door into my heart and now i am broken 
And that's that's that trick that I think that she's pulling off so well. And it's it works. It it's works. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's wrap it up for today. This has been a great conversation, Matthew. Um, you've got your your book out there. Uh, we'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, anything else that you're working on? You know, I'm always working on something. I'll be doing Pal Joey for three nights in El Paso. Uh, you know, whatever. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. It's dinner theater, you know. Yeah. Pay the bills. <laughs> Very fun. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, that's it for us today. We'll be back tomorrow with uh, another guest for Minute 67. Should be fun. Uh, Matthew, thank you again. Thank you. It's been a ball. And it, as always, we'll, we'll talk to you again later in the season. Um, but until then, uh, Pete, thanks as always. Tomorrow, Andy, will you find your way into my heart? <laughs> until next time, true believers. marvel movie minute is a production of true story fm engineering by andy nelson this season's music is message to the world by anthony vega and this season's show art is by winston yabo find the show at truestory.fm if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews please consider doing that for our show.